Joy is experiencing virtual reality for the first time. I'm sending her down to the bottom of the ocean. This is Joya Italiano. And this is Jeff Ekman. And welcome to No But That's a Thing. A podcast where we talk about the science ideas that are contained in sci-fi movies. Yeah, neither of us are experts in any of these things, but we care about them and we feel like we can make it interesting for you. So we Googled some stuff after watching a movie and here we go. Here we go. All right. All right. Hey, guys. Hello. As I just said before, Hello. What did we watch? We watched Virtuosity. That's right. Oh yep. my gosh. I have such like a hoarded, hoarded, sorted history. With hoarded this and sorted. I know. I made that up just now, but I like <laughs> rhymes. It was hard to find. Like it's not available on anything except YouTube. But you know where you would be able to find it? On my DVD collection. Uh, yeah, well, that would have been a better place and to I really, have watched it from. I really dropped the ball because I was even thinking, I was like, oh, shit, should I go snag my copy from home? And then I was like, no, Jeff's got access to all movies far and wide. Movies and then apparently this was very far and very yeah. wide and he still found it. Well, it's clearly just was like a flop. But yeah. wow. Isn't it crazy? Okay, so we, we wanted to do this because not only does it touch on a lot of things that we've done, but it's also the same filmmaker who made Lawnmower Man. Yeah, Lawnmower Man director, Lawnmower yeah. Man. Yeah. And I also had some other stuff to say about virtual reality because since we recorded Lawnmower Man, mm-hmm. I am now the proud owner of a PlayStation VR headset. Congratulations, Jeff. Woo! <laughs> yay, yay! To me, it's fucking amazing. Dude. Like, what I think about this version of it, because this apparently is like the worst version of the consumer headsets. Okay. There's the now. Play- what is the version that you have right now? I have the PlayStation VR. Okay. And that used to be called Project Morpheus, which I remember right. you mentioned. So that became this, the PlayStation VR. Right. And the other ones on the market are the Oculus Rift, mm-hmm. owned by Facebook, and the HTC Vive, who works with the video game company Valve, who okay. does that Steam service. Now, I think before this, there was some random birthday of mine a couple of years ago where oh, yeah? I was at a bar in Venice, and somebody, I like noticed there was like some to-do taking place at the bar, and I was like, what's going on over here? And somebody, I think, had an Oculus Rift. Must so, have been like an early developer's yeah, kit. Yeah, yeah. And, I, and that was crazy. I believe I was in mm-hmm. like the 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 polar arctic somewhere and i was looking around and that was pretty crazy but what i just experienced was your playstation vr and i went on a deep sea dive and it was pretty fucking crazy one of the things i said while we were recording is that it was gonna put disneyland out of business just because like this kind of like chills and thrills that you can achieve in the you know the comfort of your own home Uh of course what this lacks right now is that element of movement or being kind of jostled about. Well, that's the thing. Like the HTC Vive, for example, requires a full room setup. So there's like multiple cameras that they put on the walls around the room. And then you have kind of the full room to walk around mm-hmm. in. Whereas this has one camera right on under the TV and you mostly play it either sitting on your couch or kind of standing right in front of your couch. But you have like a limited field that you can walk around in. 
the fact that you can experience that kind of party of the senses, right? Like mm-hmm. there's there's a party in <laughs> your like brain that. and everyone's invited, right? <laughs> because you're able to look around and the entire environment is created. It really fucks with your sense of space, like spatial reality, like your body awareness in space. Like there's so much fun to be had. And I just went on a 10 minute deep ocean dive where a shark started to try to attack me. Yeah. And I, I got a little spooked. I tried to interact with some of my surroundings knowing that I'm standing in Jeff's living room. Right. So, I mean, I think it's fucking awesome. Now, we started talking about this. Virtuosity deals with oh, yeah, virtual reality. The, the plot of I the guess movie. we'll talk I about that. I still have a bunch more to talk about with <laughs> yeah, this VR headset. I know. But, uh, I know. Well, me too, but it's sort of like, should we at least tell people? Yeah, we should talk a little bit about <laughs> what this movie is. Well, because people probably have no idea. You're like, Denzel Washington, yeah. Russell Crowe in this completely obscure <laughs> 1995 <laughs> virtual reality thriller? Yeah, like. It, it's, well, boy, this movie, there's a lot going on in here. His name is Sid 6.7. Sadistic. Intelligent. Dangerous. A computer composite of 183 serial killers. In my world. Killing. But now, he's leaving the virtual world. For hours. Welcome to the real world. I think I'm gonna like it here. One's digital. Kill my wife, my daughter. The others, the law. Where's my gun? Here we go. He's recreating mass murders. This is not a game, but Sid is still from the game. He only enjoys playing against his favorite opponent, and that's me. Just because I'm carrying around the joy of killing your family inside me, doesn't mean we can't be friends. Game over. That's reality for you. A lot to unpack. There's a lot of like things on top of things on top of ideas. Yeah. But at the heart of it is they've created a computer simulation of the worst killers mm-hmm. ever. And it's going to be a training situation for cops so that cops can go into this virtual world and like try and fight this supervillain and then you know, in real life, they'd be good at it. Yeah. <laughs> and then if you if you think that Denzel Washington is a cop in this movie, no, he's like a criminal too because yeah. he killed the killer and yeah. now they need him back on the scene. It's just, there's so many things there, going there's on. There's a lot going on. The movie doesn't really exist in any like world that I understand. Yeah. It exists in movie world. It exists in like, in particularly movies imagining the future. Just yeah. like, like unabashedly just being like, isn't it crazy in the future when you have just talking cyber heads all yeah, over town? And yeah. Then you can just incubate, I guess, characters from computer games yeah. that then come into life and they're synthesized. And, and then they can use gas or glass, not gas. Uh, there is a lot of hot air in this movie. He can like take glass and it heals his wounds. But wait, I didn't say the real key to the movie, which is... Russell Crowe, this killer, manages to find a way to get out of the virtual world and into the real one. And who's going to take him down? Denzel Washington, the criminal. But to get back to the state of the VR headsets. Mm -hmm. So what Sony's done with the PlayStation, the other two require their own fully decked out PCs to go with it. So like the HTC Vive is like 800 bucks on top of an expensive gaming computer that you have to buy. And then you have to have a room where you're setting up the cameras. It's just like so complicated. Right. Sony has a thing that you plug into your PlayStation 4 and then you have virtual reality in your home. 
I mean, I love that. Well, because as you were talking, there's part of me that's like, here I am. I'm always the person that points uh-huh. out like the money, 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 money. But yeah. like this thing that you have, anybody could have it. Like yeah. you save up, you, you one Christmas or other, I mean, it's, you, you it's get a it. It's a thing. Yeah, people yeah. have PlayStations. People have Xboxes. And yes, you save up for it, but yeah. it fucking more than pays for itself, mm-hmm. right? All of the afternoons you spend. I have no regrets about this purchase. No regrets. At all. Because no that's the, the other thing is that I don't think that this is the version that will get everybody on board for it. Right. But I think that this is good enough to be like, if you're interested in VR, go ahead mm-hmm. and get this because it's fucking amazing. Right. Okay. So even in the movie, they, they use VR to train cops. This to me, you could easily use this kind of software for that kind of thing. Absolutely. I have no issue with that. Right. Training of any kind. I remember doing a story not a lot super duper long ago about using VR to train cops to like deal with racial issues better or like deal with empathy better it's basically kind of like taking role plays or this you know what you might get out of a classroom Mm -hmm. but something that i don't know maybe you'll you'll internalize a little bit more because it feels a little bit more real did i believe that i was at the bottom of the ocean no but But you did more than looking at a a screen of it even more than watching planet earth and already i learned so much from watching planet earth emotions well i really want the next planet earth to be in vr dude why not because that would be unbelievable that would be the best it I mean, really could you could just like yeah oh boy it does get really complicated because how to film these things and these experiences like people are still figuring it out there's a lot of experimentation going on some of the games that are available for the psvr will make you throw up like because you've talked about being in the resident evil house well i don't mean it in that way oh. <laughs> because that is horrifying oh i was like being in throw there up from horror throwing up from horror but i mean throwing up from motion sickness oh duh okay because there's different ways people are experimenting with different ways of moving around the world uh-huh. and when you do have motion like i did the demo for this game called drive club mm-hmm. and you'd think that in vr a perfect thing to do would be racing games mm-hmm. but when you're racing around a racing track oh, and you know. your inner ear doesn't feel the turns as you turn and you have so much experience with that by being in an actual car mm-hmm. I wanted to puke in 30 seconds. Totally. I guess that's that's totally right. Well, but an experience like what you just had, yeah. which is very limited motion, and the motion that happens is mostly you, your head motion. Yeah. You can do that all day. Well, I think that inner ear or like finding that sweet spot of mm. like not only fucking with your, your sense of sight and sound mm. and whatever, but then the motion aspect of it. Holy shit. Like the amusement park business alone will be completely. Yeah. Well, like, we've talked about the VR Six Flags roller mm-hmm. coaster. Exactly. And that makes a lot of sense because you really... Really, it's already tracking where your motion is going to be. So you can look around and you're not going to feel sick because your inner ear is matching what you're right. seeing. But overall, I'm also getting more used to it. However, mm-hmm. I am going to sleep feeling like I was on a boat all day. Right. So like, that kind of everything's like, kind of a little bit, a little bit wobbly, a little wobbly yeah. when I when I spend a bunch of time. Well, in there. it's interesting you say that because I remember even as a kid, not so much as an adult, because I don't go to amusement parks frequently but mm. i remember as a kid i would go home and as i was lying down to sleep i would yeah. have that weird exactly. equilibrium thing like just in totally my, gives you that isn't that fucking amazing and what's that about is that just your body like your inner ear just kind of like balancing out and being like what yeah. the fuck did i just experience today well, because i think because again this is the first version and so the head tracking is really good but it's not as good as it's gonna be right sometimes there's a little bit of wall 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 yeah. kind of to my vision of it and then when I take it off, my inner ear has adjusted to this slight wawing. Yeah. And I still feel a little, little yeah. woozy. You get that wah wah without just like inhaling <clears throat> nitrous, you guys. Right. This is like more but, natural high. So the, 
This has the smallest field of view and the lowest resolution out of the ones on the market right now. And you could probably see the pixels when you're yeah, in there. Yeah, a little bit, yeah. The number one thing that they're going to improve is the display technology. They think they, that you need 8K screens at least mm -hmm. in order to – because it's right next to your eye. And what's in the PlayStation 1 is a 1080p image, which is the same as your HDTV. Okay. So that's shrunk down and then put right up next to your eye, and that's not dense enough. Right. And so this version, to me, is like good enough to put out there and to have people be like, holy shit. Right. But it's not good enough to give people the real experiences that are being promised. Like, you could be standing under there, under the water. I'm using the, under the ocean as the example, because that's mm -hmm. what I just did, right. this, like, deep ocean dive. And it was interesting enough to just be able to stand there and look around. It was basically, at first, it sort of felt like a 3D screensaver, right? You're kind of yeah. like, cool. Yeah. And yeah. then some other stuff comes in. Like, that's kind of how I felt about this experience. Mm -hmm. It's like, the fact that I had an interactive experience, there was something swimming at my face that I felt like I had to protect myself from. Like, that is an experience that other generations just don't have, right? Uh, yeah. I suppose, like, when you think about the first crowds that ever saw movies, I remember in my film history class <laughs> at Sarah Lawrence, I learned, you know, it's like the train coming into the station, mm -hmm. that first film that people saw, they and they thought the that, and they out. thought the fucking train was coming into the, literally into the station and into the movie theater and was going to plow them down because their senses just weren't used to it. We're yeah. so fucking spoiled because <clears> even this, this kind of technology even has the room for us to be like, I mean, don't worry, because it's going to get better in a couple right, of years. Right. Like, right. I know this is garbage right now, but just know what it can be. But holy shit, I played this demo for a game that I could only describe as like built for people on ecstasy mm -hmm. or dropping acid or something. Sure, and there's, yeah, there's going to be. There's literally like because these move controllers, you which you didn't get to play with, like mm -hmm. make you feel like you have these hands in the, in the world. Mm -hmm. And so you're able to interact with the 3D objects and stuff, pick them up, move it around, wow. look at the other sides of it. That's crazy. But yeah. what this game was... It allowed you to paint in 3D yeah, and then move that painting around. It was basically these light bars that you were painting around. Wow. It was the trippiest thing I've ever seen. I mean, the creativity level of it, I forget which episode we were talking about, the the Fantasia 2000 or whatever, that uh -huh. music symphony kind of thing. Even even that, because not only do you have the being able to compose a thing in real time, but you have the visual aspect yeah. of it too. You add drugs to the mix and it's just oh like God. Creative Town USA. Like a, another part of the same game was... Just imagine the coolest like kaleidoscope screensaver that was in 3D that you're inside. Uh huh. Cool. It was like, why are we doing this if not for people who are high as fuck? Right. There's very, there's very little just like true to life, like, yeah, they really touched on some cool shit and virtuosity because <laughs> that was just kind of a circle jerk. Oh, side note. Speaking of circle jerks, hugely <laughs> instrumental or monumental in my like coming of age as a as a heterosexual young lady. Because Speaking of actual circle jerks, yeah, actual. <laughs> <laughs> no, but that's a thing. Yeah. <laughs> Joy well, Russell Crowe shows his ass in this movie. Yeah, his first real exposure to the real world is a la Terminator with his butt exposed. Plus, uh -huh. he's kind of, you know, he's a bad boy, but he's clean cut. Like, he basically yeah. looked like his prototype for when he was in LA Confidential a few years <laughs> <Yeah>. later. <laughs> so, anyway. So, one of the things about Russell Crowe's character, Sid 6.7, is that he 
is I guess it's nanotechnology that allows him to be able they to give be made him, of class. Yeah, they that. give him this like weird 3D printed <laughs> body that yeah. can regenerate. Like if he like eats glass, yeah. the glass will become the bullet holes. They explain this away by allowing a character to put on a VR headset and mm-hmm. see the nanotechnology at work or just seeing like the snakes. It's uh, really weird. They use a snake as a... Uh, you know what's... I'm really just trying to get to nanotechnology, but I'm just... Right. This movie is so fucking contrived <laughs> and ridiculous. You see some atoms. You see <clears throat> molecules being used at some point. Nanotechnology. Okay, so... Yeah, it's <laughs> using nanotech. Nanotech. <laughs> so I, I wanted to geek out a little bit because I'm somebody that does not know very much about this, but Let's I learned some stuff. Nanoscience and nanotechnology, they involve the ability to see and to control individual atoms and molecules. Do you remember what you... You were talking. You were talking about it allowing medicines to be transported. To yeah, the body, yeah. Right? Uh, that's the earlier uses of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but eventually they'll be the size of a red blood cell, and we'll have millions of them in our bodies. Yeah, keeping us healthy. Well, yeah. Okay, so just to give you some background, what what is a nano? What are we talking about? A nanometer? Is that what you say, or you would just say nanometer? I think it's nanometer. Yeah, I know. Like, I want to try I, I to sound like... more like educated, well, but if you if you nanometer. had a thing that measured nanos, it would be a nanometer. Right. But right. The unit of measurement would be a nanometer. Okay, well, cool. So I'll just be able to sound like a redneck when I say nanometers. I like it. Anyway, so one nanometer is a billionth of a meter. Just to give you an idea, one sheet of newspaper is about 100,000 nanometers thick. 100,000. 100,000. On a comparative scale, if a marble were a nanometer, then one meter would be the size of the Earth. Jesus. Nanometers are small. (laughs) Okay, yeah. That's what I got. So what's what's interesting to consider is that the microscopes used to be able to see things this small have not really been invented until about 30 years ago. Mm-hmm. And so that is called one of those is called the scanning tunneling microscope, which is mainly designed to, to measure ob- objects, but can also move tiny objects such as carbon nanotubes. Mm. The first known example of that happening was accomplished by IBM in 1989. So the, the head researcher of that was Don Eigler. So he and his colleagues, they were able to spell the company logo, IBM, in atoms. Oh, my God. I know. So he and his team were able to literally move 35 xenon atoms on a background of copper atoms to spell out IBM. So they were just like able to move things on a smaller scale than anybody's ever been able to. Correct, Amundo. And then the... I've heard of a scanning electron microscope, and I believe that... It looks ho- like that. Holy shit. So I'm showing him a picture. It just looks like little dots that Couple are spelling of IBM. Do- <laughs> dots, But yeah. when you're thinking of those as atoms, and you're thinking of that as human beings be able, being able to move that and being like, I'm a... It's basically the, uh, the science equivalent of just like pissing in the snow, <laughs> like spelling your name. <laughs> yeah, it is. I wield my power to spell my name. Yeah. Atomically small. Yeah. But anyway, so that was in 1989. That's not that long ago. We were born before that. (laughs) I I know. Not by a lot, but we did it. But But enough to be like, this is not, this is new shit. Is the microscope, like, my understanding is that a scanning electron microscope works like, it doesn't actually take an image of the thing. It sends electrons past it, and the way that the electrons bounce off of it allow the telescope to actually see or the microscope to actually see that's interesting that makes sense because i think that actually having a resolution where you can see that small is impossible but being able to like create an image based off of like sending a bunch of electrons through it oh that's cool because yeah i mean i didn't even fucking scrape the surface of like how Mm. they i just know that they were able to make it happen i mean that tells you how fascinating this is because you're like guess Mm -hmm. who created that man (laughs) 
So, I mean, but just for even me to be able to yeah. baby bird this to you guys and be yeah. like, yeah, well, so check this out. They were able to spill IBM with fucking Adams. Yeah. Um, At least it was a, a, a corporation that was the first thing to uh, I know. be said in, that's, in Adams. That's what we're trying to prove in this podcast. <laughs> that, like, corporations are people. Co- and they, and <laughs> they like pissing in the snow like the rest of us. And, yeah. Yeah. And sometimes their work is used for good, and sometimes it's not used mm-hmm. for good, but whatever. The, I'm not going to, like, shoot the messenger, right? Like, that's basically right. what IBM, at least in this context, sort of was. Look, if they figured this out, good for them. Well, so, and also, if we're getting to why this even matters. So, mm-hmm. uh, what is, being able to deliberately make materials at the nanoscale to take advantage of their enhanced properties. That would be, like, one of the ways that you could do this. We're talking about nanomanufacturing. Uh-huh. So, nanoscale materials, they're already found in nature. Here's an example. Hemoglobin, that the what transports oxygen in the blood, right? Mm-hmm. That's 5.5 nanometers in diameter. Hmm. So, still pretty fucking small, but that exists in nanoscale. You also yep. consider, like, smoke from a fire, volcanic ash, sea spray. Some nano nanoscale materials are byproducts of human activities, such as, like, exhaust fumes from a bus or a, for a, from an auto. Hmm. So, these things are both, they both exist in nature, but are created all the time. Now, it's just about being able to, like, harness the power of these elements to be able to... to manufacture things so there's two basic approaches to this there's top down which is like taking a big object and then whittling it down i.e like cutting something from a block of wood okay or you you build it from the bottom up so top down there's going to be a lot of waste if you end up just like getting rid of those materials bottom up that's it takes a lot of time so unless you can kind of just like put these particles that produce by themselves Uh then it could be time consuming doing that in a lab but but you end up with no byproducts by doing it right yeah you were talking about carbon nanotubes, mm-hmm. and just off of that idea of like him repurposing glass mm-hmm. to be used for his own body, there's a concept called upcycling mm-hmm. versus recycling, and it's basically using old things not to be used for the same purpose again, but to be used in a newer, better way. Ooh. And there's a process that this guy figured out how to take basically plastic bags and turn them into carbon nanotubes. Wow. And he has basically this giant oven and there's special chemicals that he uses and they're able to take old plastic bags that people use and then discarded. This is like hopefully going to be used for the Great Pacific Garbage Patch. Mm -hmm. You can turn all that into carbon nanotubes and then you can turn those carbon nanotubes into lithium batteries. Wow. So you can turn old used plastic bags into new batteries recycling only exists because we found out the ways to break those materials down and, and reuse them right reason, so yeah. this is just like recycling 2.0 right and exactly. or upcycling, upcycling. <laughs> that's basically what it is yeah wow i fucking love that well because even okay so like talking about these nanomaterials they can be stronger they can be lighter they can be mm. more durable they can be self-cleaning they can be infrared resistant self-cleaning yeah even with like, like my oven yeah <laughs> just like my oven yeah, so I don't know. I guess it's like, you know, anywhere from products, because so, this article that I was reading, they're talking about products like hats, you know, baseball okay. bats, and yeah. just like materials being smarter and more reliable. But then you can even think about like nanoscale transistors that can someday lead to computers that are faster and more powerful, and they, they're more ener- energy efficient than things used today. You storage capacity, well, which is kind of what you were talking about. Well, we're, yeah, that leads right into quantum computing, which I did a bunch of research on. Oh, yeah. Recently, Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, there's a video that's being shared a lot because he, in layman's terms, explained quantum computing in a way that makes sense and is accurate. And people were just like, what the hell? Like, how did he actually do that? Very simply, normal computers work uh, by... uh, 
Don't, don't interrupt me. When you walk out of here, you will know more. No, some of you will know far less about quantum computing, but most of you, normal computers work either there's power going through a wire or not. It's one or a zero. They're binary systems. Uh, what quantum states allow for is much more complex information to be encoded into a single bit. Regular computer bit is either one or zero, on or off. A quantum state can be much more complex than that because, as we know, uh, things can be both particle and wave at the same time, and the uncertainty around quantum uh, states uh, allows us to encode more information into a much uh, smaller computer. So uh, that's what's exciting about quantum computing, and that's what we want. Um, this quantum mechanic, Einstein called it spooky action at a distance. And it's this uncertainty principle, which is that it can exist in two states at once. And quantum computing is going to lead to nanotechnology and things even crazier than that. Mm -hmm. Right now, the quantum computers that are being built are way slower than a traditional computer. But the, as they develop them and get better at them, they're going to way outpace what traditional computers could ever do. Sure. So are you talking maybe like bendy, foldy screens for things? Well, like it would be that? allowed to do that mm -hmm. because it could do the processing that's required in order to do that at a scale that's so small that it doesn't... You don't uh, need a big piece Chip. of mass yeah to, like right. exactly sure one on one of the other episodes we talked about being able to use it for health purposes or you know medical purposes so scientists are using nanoparticles to target tumors they're using nanoparticles in drug delivery systems to improve medical imaging some nanoparticle based treatments can they can find the tumors and carry drugs yeah to those areas that's they can cut the cost and increase the speed of dna sequencing and provide the scaffolding or you know the blueprint basically for tissue regeneration and wound treatment being able to see things on such a tiny scale mm -hmm. you're not only able to diagnose what the issue is far earlier yeah and when you can do things on the scale where you're moving single atoms around mm -hmm. you know you could probably make molecules you can do all sorts of crazy yeah. experiments it was crazy. I just even because there's like the National Nanotechnology Institute or something that had a lot of this spelled out on their website, mm. but really kind of like broke it down, not only from a health perspective, but like energy perspective. Like, for example, nanotechnology they're using to maybe make solar panels that can soak up more sunshine and be more efficient energy wise to, to cut down on the way that methane is released into the atmosphere. Oh. You know, just like this basic kind of shit that again, when, when maybe falling into the wrong hands of people that are just out to make a buck, it could go one way, but it's also like uh, we've said before, we don't mind if people make a buck out of making the, World, world a better, better place yeah. or to, to do away with some and of the like fossil fuel bullshit in theory in an idealist's world governments would see something that is supposed to be a utility and take and basically say nobody can we can't privatize that you know like water or electricity or some would say wi-fi should be sure oh god yeah but it, historically when the government realized that everybody needs access to this thing equally mm -hmm. we have put things in place to make that the case yeah, Ugh, and that's what's supposed to happen right, okay, with society. Well, because that's another thing that I was wanting to talk about today. Because mm. okay, through just being doing this show and being kind of more clued into sciencey shit, yeah. I don't remember making this choice, but I apparently signed up to receive updates from NewScientists.com. Oh yeah, not I think news, I get those too. Not <laughs> new scientists, new scientists. Okay. I realized that it sounded like tits. Well, <laughs> new science tits is probably a pretty good website. Yeah. That's actually, that's going to be I'm our gonna, website. Yeah, if, it's not, <laughs> if it's not out there, I'm getting that domain right now. 
<laughs> so apparently over the weekend, there was an annual conference for the American Association for the Advancement of Science that took place in Boston. So at the same time that there were these different conferences and different talks taking place, there was also a protest taking place down the street. Mm-hmm. But a lot of people in the scientific community are concerned about what the fate of science is going to be, both under, yeah. you know, on a, on a national scale, but also in the world. Because it's it's great to be able to look at some of the, the advancements that we've had more on a... What, what do we say? We're like short-term pessimism, long-term optimism, optimism yeah. p- frame of reference, yeah, right? Yeah. Where this kind of stuff is going to happen whether or not America is at the forefront. Right. And I don't think either of us have an issue with that. But it is the idea that, you know, we're talking about all these great things that could potentially have huge fucking roadblocks. Mm-hmm. So there's hundreds of people that gathered for these, these protests over the weekend. They were organized by two science activist groups. One was climatetruth.org and the other is the Natural History Museum. <laughs> One of the talks at this conference that has been going on for years was, quote, defending science and scientific integrity in the age of Trump. There's some people that talk about it with regards to, to history, like how the science community had to kind of double down during the age of Bush. Like, Mm -hmm. is this more of the same or is this new? Like, this kind of thing. So I kind of wanted to get your your take on how we think, feel about it or, Well, my thing is, like, I don't know how he's going to implement any of the things that he's Mm going to implement. But the simple fact that he's said what he believes in, Mm -hmm. you know, that he's putting people in charge who who don't believe in climate change, who are against scientific progress and, you know, whatever the hell they're going on with, like, endangered species lists and shit, like, that's happening right now that is really clearly, like, who asked for this? Like, why do we want there to be less regulation on this and that? So I don't know enough to speak intelligently about what the details are, except to say that it's really dangerous anytime somebody's in power who has those beliefs, or at the very least espouses those beliefs right because i think i think that's an, a, an important distinction because it's like we Whether have no idea what anybody actually are. believes exactly. it but it's clearly like the decisions he's making are more in line what's going to work for him and his mm-hmm. like cronies he right? certainly doesn't care and yeah. that's scary and th- there are times in history where we've really gone hard on science and times where we've pulled back and i don't see the next four years as being an optimist's time right but the um, long-term optimist in me is still alive. Right. And I, I, I would agree. Let me get some of the thoughts that scientists at, that were interviewed for this article had to Please. say. Here's an example. Jane Lubchenco of Oregon State University. She also formerly worked at the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration. She has this to say. She says, quote, my biggest worry is about the consequences to society. If scientists are muzzled and intimidated, if science is defunded, if data are deleted and scientific institutions are undermined, we don't know for sure that all that will happen. We have warning signs that are very sobering. I think about that because even when fucking Anonymous is working to keep a treasure trove of data for like NASA and shit, you know, is getting on the case of just making sure that this data is encoded. Mm -hmm. There's part of me that there's like the optimism of knowing of knowing like, okay, there's a big enough group of people out there that want this data there that know the value of this data that understand the implications of like deregulating the fucking killing endangered species and stuff because it's better for loggers and miners or whatever right because jobs because jobs that's all you have to say is like jobs but you know we want those jobs that are destroying the earth and instead of focusing on like how many more fucking jobs can be can exist in In the new industries new industries but no one wants to focus on that because there is going to be an upset behind a lot yeah. of people. And so right. those people who aren't going to, you know, but then as they, as the old saying goes, death takes care of that. Yeah. I mean, it's and, not very and, nice. And it's basically, a very 
insensitive thing to say, but the truth is new industries are born and old industries die. Exactly. And I think that's this weird line that we're towing as Americans too, because, you know, you have other people that they talk about their, their memories of growing up in Nazi occupied Europe, right? Mm -hmm. Who are like, who basically are like, you can't overstate this shit because the way they first start is by like making facts, not real. And and like discrediting science. And I think it's really hard for us, uh, certainly growing up in our world to, to take it seriously enough. Right. And yet, I do, like hysteria is not the way to deal with it either. So I think I think that's why I want to at least talk about it on the show because mm-hmm. I think the only thing that we can do just as like private citizens who we don't have this like massive bully pulpit, but we're still trying to just be like, dude, science matters and facts matter, and this is right. this is more important for us as like a, a species, right? Yeah. Well, I think that growing up the way we did, it seems so impossible that something like this would or could happen that like we're looking at the early days of Nazism. Yeah. But that was the case there too, where mm-hmm. there were lots of people who were like, they can't possibly, why would they even, what, all the Jews? Yeah. And exactly. All of them? Oh, God, exactly. Like, why would they do that? And so I think that that's what's so scary and dangerous about the early days of it is that any reasonable person might not you know Mm -hmm. exactly well and any attack on basically intellectualism of any kind with the internet though this information is going to be out there whether or not we we want it to and maybe america's not going to be at the forefront of nanotechnology if certain powers that be want to stand in the way i'm okay with america not being at the forefront of it yeah it would be sad though because that's a consolation explanation to myself right is that it america doesn't have to be at the forefront but anytime somebody who could be doing something amazing takes a step backward that's sad and especially when you have the most resources in the world mm-hmm. and you have the most money in the world mm-hmm. and you're and you well, have, haven't you heard we're we don't win anymore we don't we haven't been winning for a really long time i chihuahua anyway well hopefully more people are thinking and more people are going at it because this shit yeah. is fucking cool go it, back to some of the cool shit really you cool. were talking about well yeah i i've got some more crazy shit about the way quantum computers work let's do it a quantum computer essentially operates as a massive parallel processing machine. Okay. So you could link like a million different traditional computers together and have them work together in order to get you a response incredibly quickly. Wow. And this effectively works that way, but only being done on one computer. Whoa. And there's a computer, a company called D-Wave, which is building quantum computers. And they don't have anything that's 100% reliable yet because th- this is confusing, but it's really cool. I dig it. The way that a quantum computer works is it's doing all these computations at once, and then when you try to measure its answer, you may affect the answer negatively. Okay. So when you try to measure what its answer is, it like stops being a quantum computer and suddenly becomes a traditional computer because you've forced it to exist in one state. Oh my God. So how would you use that effectively? Well, that's what they're working on. Okay. Because And they've got it to like 90-something percent effective for answering <laughs> questions if you had a computer that had a thousand qubits that is the computing power of 10 to the 300th power okay there are only 10 to the 80th atoms in the universe oh shit so you would absolutely be able to compute an entire universe oh my god and every atom within it whoa this kind of blends into what we were talking about last week Mm -hmm. with the idea of like what if we and our lives are just a computer simulation. Exactly. And this totally simulation, indicates not that. not assimilation. <laughs> this totally indicates that that's like definitely possible. Wow. So a quantum computer can be in a quantum combination of all these different states, and they call it a superposition. 
which allows it to perform a billion or more copies of a computation at the same time. The challenge for the designer of the computer is how do we access those billion results? Because if we measured the quantum state, we would only get one of the results and 999 million results would disappear as soon as you try to measure it. Whoa. So it's really confusing and complicated. And like weirdly precise mm-hmm. and yeah, okay. So to step back and talk about it a little more big picture. Sure. I think that this is a great example of us witnessing something in nature, realizing how it could be used or applied, and then starting to implement it. Right. Because we talked about this before with the idea of like discovering the Higgs boson or discovering Anything the electron really for that or matter. any yeah. yeah. And it starts with the realization that quantum mechanics exists. And then somebody might, in fact, it was the late 80s, Richard Feynman, he said, why don't we use this ability to put more information into one bit than we currently can? Totally. 30 years later, people are starting to build these things. Mm -hmm. And it's just a part of this process of like pure science research is so useful in ways that people can never see coming. Totally. In that scene where he's in the nightclub, he's like waving his hands over all these different kind of DJ tables to make music. Uh-huh. And there's an actual instrument called the theremin, which you just wave your hands over. Yep. And I guess like there are these two wires. One antenna senses pitch and the other antenna senses volume. Mm-hmm. And you just kind of wave your hands around. And it, it was used a lot for like eerie scenes in old sci-fi movies like Ooh. The Day the Earth stood still exactly so that's crazy okay i guess i never understood how that fucking thing worked but you said so one antenna controls the pitch the other controls the volume volume and when you yeah when you combine like the oldness of the theremin which was built in the 1920s (gasps) to the newness of a technology like leap motion which we've talked about in another episode when you wave your hands around and it's able to sense it yeah you just think about like that's just totally real, the thing that he's right. doing right there. You could totally build a crazy instrument that's all based around moving your hands around. Absolutely. And I thought it's that all was energy, cool. man. It's all energy. <laughs> yeah. So that was a tidbit. Tidbit number two. <laughs> time for tidbits. It's tidbit time. Well, <laughs> the whole thing where he's repurposing glass for his own body mm-hmm. got me thinking about repurposing materials that are around us in space travel to help us with space travel. And there's a real thing that NASA is developing called Lunar Crete or Moon Crete, which works like concrete, but it's using the lunar regolith and stuff that's on the moon already. Because in order to create concrete, you need aggregate, water, and cement. And the aggregate can be on the moon, but they now have a way of using sulfur that's on the moon to replace the water and the cement. So they're able to do this process where they can actually make a form of concrete using only materials that are already on the moon. Wow. Well, Newt Gingrich really wants to colonize the moon. Well, as I think with he's many people. Right. I, I, why not? If there was ever a man I agreed with. But for that, I actually really do agree with him. I mean, I don't know. And again, it's like if you have the capacity, why wouldn't you? Like that's a great like resort kind of speed. Mm-hmm. I, I don't like thinking about it in the way of like, well, when we destroy this fucking planet, let's get right. out of here. No. But I could easily say like, yo, do you Let's celebrate our honeymoon on the yeah moon. on the moon on the honey on the honeymoon. No. <laughs> Fuck you! I can see Hallmark cards. Yeah, a plenty <laughs> on the honeymoon. Yeah, yeah. Because if I'm you, over the moon for you. I mean, there's a lot. God. I'm sorry. That's it. 
the Hallmark on. on the Moon store is going to be filled with shit. Hallmark on the Moon store. But, no, in order to launch all that stuff to the moon, you then have to have much more fuel to launch that to the moon. Mm-hmm. And then you have to have more fuel to launch that fuel to launch the thing oh, to boy. the moon. And it becomes a very difficult problem. So if you're able to use what's already there, it would be very useful. Any other fun tidbits? I had a thing about blood substitutes because it wasn't until 1616 that blood pathways were discovered. Okay. Pathways? What do you mean? Like veins? Like veins. Oh, God. They did just thought it was a big, like we were just full they of blood. They didn't know what the fuck was going oh my on God. until 1616 when this guy William Harvey discovered blood pathways. Many people tried to use different fluids such as beer. Oh, God. Urine. Milk and animal blood as a blood substitute. Because uh, they were just. They were just like, what is this shit? <laughs> what could we. What would happen if we put water in Barson's body? What would happen if we peed in it, apparently? Hmm. What would milk be like to substitute you think those for blood? Were, were God fearing men, Jack. They may <laughs> have been. It's possible. But the first approved oxygen-carrying blood substitute was a perfluorocarbon-based product called Fluosol DA20, Whoa. which was manufactured in Japan, and it was approved by the FDA in 1989. Wow, so from 1616, nothing. Nothing and until 1989. Oh, my God. Well, it was really like after the Vietnam War, they were like, we got to do something. We got to have some better shit. Oh, my God. Because of the limited success of Fluosol and complexity and use of the side effects, it was withdrawn in 1994. And that's the only example of, like, oxygen-carrying blood substitute that was ever on the market. Yeah, that is interesting to think about, isn't it? That even still to this day, we can't do anything besides basically blood transfusions. Right. And talking about nanotechnology, you could theoretically have hemoglobin in that. Oh, my God. So well, that we may were just be... talking, they're the same size. Exactly. <laughs> but there, there has been a thing called plasma, which is used for blood transfusions, that doesn't actually carry oxygen, but that's been used for a long time in war. Something called plasma, not yeah, plasma. It's what's in your blood without the red blood cells. Oh, I know what plasma is, but yeah. you said something called... Okay, I thought you were talking about it like as though it was a synthetic thing that they no, just called no. plasma. No, because sometimes when you th- hear the word plasma, my, my you might think about... screen is a plasma, man. So, <laughs> I was thinking about the sun being made of plasma. Anyway, in December of 2003, a new hemoglobin-based oxygen therapeutic called polyheme began field tests in emergency patients... So patient consent was not considered necessary under the special category created by the FDA for these experiments. The study concluded in mid-2006, and it was reported that the trial failed when 47 of the 350 people died versus 35 of 363 people in the control group. So more people died using this than regular. The debate exists as to whether or not the difference in the mortality rate is attributable to the small sample size, but more than that, it's the experimental subjects didn't give consent. So people are not happy about this experiment. Like, how would you feel if you got into a car accident and then found out later that the blood that they used to transfuse you was this more dangerous experimental fake blood? Well, if anything, it just, like, hearing these kinds of stories and sort of understanding the 
the context of history. Anytime you go to a doctor's office, it seems annoying that you're having to sign all these forms and they're asking you, like, every time you right. fucking go in, I have to give my entire medical history. Yeah. I have to yeah. tell you what I'm allergic to. I have to tell you what, like, history in my family is of all mm-hmm. this stuff. These are the reasons why. It's yeah. because there was enough of a precedent of people not giving their consent and then dying. And so people, you know, not only is it just liability stuff, but it's also like... Yeah, there probably should be some kind of fail-safes. I agree. Am I surprised that some kind of synthetic or or tested out thing really fucked with people? No. I mean... It doesn't sound like it fucked with people that much. We didn't start the fire. It was always burning since the world's been turning. No. I'm just kidding. But it doesn't sound like it was that bad. It sounded like, you know, 47 out of 350 versus 35 out of 360. Like... Right. But it is still one of those things where it's like... it. The lack of consent, the the fact that we were experimenting on these people who were in traumatic situations. Right. Is that it's always going to get a a bad rap, even if it's. So I don't know what this thing was that the FDA created a special category for this, these experiments, but they don't need patient consent. All right. You want to do favorite lines? Let's do favorite lines. All right. I had two lines that I that I enjoyed. One was he's like explaining the old days of email. Oh, sure. And he's talking about like people used to sign off their email with colon parentheses. Oh, right. Well, that was part of the thing. Meaning the smiley face emoticon. Oh, sure. Yeah, sorry. I didn't let you finish that thought. <laughs> sorry. Well, because Denzel Washington found the colon parenthesis in the VR, yeah, and that was a clue because uh, an emoticon was a clue in the movie. Right, emoticon yeah. was so obscure at that time yeah, that were, it people really, used to yeah. do this back in the day. It was like Sherlock Holmesian, and yeah. it's fucking. It does. Complex. That is one of those things that you would have thought would have been early internet that like yeah. really stuck around. The emoji yeah. situation. Oh well, my emoji God. is growing even more, but I mean just, just emoticon, emoticon. Right. The yeah. traditional using the text. Spelling boobs. Spelling boobs. <laughs> back spelling when we got our first calculators in and middle school. Spell boobs left, yeah. right, and sideways. <laughs> Wasn't there also like eat me or something? I don't know. I think somebody, there were a bunch of them. A I, lot I of people spent a lot of time. <laughs> a lot of time figuring out how to turn a calculator right. upside Here's down. Here's the second one. Here's the moral compass of the movie. Blech. Russell Crowe said 6.7 saying, quote, <laughs> I came to be because of what you are. Uh, uh, I mean, if this movie wasn't so like so winky, then right. maybe I'd feel a little bit better about well, because we always say we're like it's not the technology that uh-huh. we need to look at; it's the people with the technology. So that's what this is. Like he is a result of like people that have killed people for many years, and him being a product of their personality disorders. Right. I guess. Well, we've also talked about the idea of crowdsourcing to create an AI. And that if everybody's a piece of shit on Twitter and an AI is learning from those experiences, then an AI will be based right. on the worst parts being of being pieces of shit because right. of people telling it to be pieces of shit. Exactly. Man's well, inhumanity to man. All right. We have no idea what we're doing next week, you guys. I have a couple of thoughts. What are your thoughts? I would like to do something like Galaxy Quest. Oh, boy. Okay. Have you seen that? No. It's a great movie. That's what I've heard. Why are you negative? I don't know why. I have just like a weird, bad feeling about it, which probably makes me feel like I have to see it. It's a delightful. Cool. Of all movies, David Mamet said he wished he had written this one. I mean, that says a lot. A weird Uh, specific. Well, you know, this podcast for me is all about challenging your own perceptions. So the Mm -hmm. fact that like you said Galaxy Quest and I wanted to like poop my pants (laughs) tells me that we should probably watch Galaxy Quest. 
I think there'll be a fun discussion to be had after that. I'll let you guys know if I pooped my pants. Yeah, and if, maybe it won't be Galaxy Quest. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Bye, Sayonara everybody. Sayonara suckers. Sayonara suckers. Ooh, 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 ooh.